there, but I just want to welcome everyone here tonight and everybody that's listening on our podcast channel. If you've missed any of the teachings, you can go back to the podcast channel and catch up with those. Tonight, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, and the title to the night's teaching is called March to a Different Drummer. Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to march to a different drummer. And Peter's going to help us to understand that the Christian lifestyle is about love. It's a lifestyle of love. We're called to be different than what the world is. And the way that we live is determined by the Word of God. This is what determines how we live. Not what the world says, but what God tells us in His Word. And it's not also about how other people treat us. Because people sometimes can treat us horribly, can't they? They can. And we can also treat people horribly. But in this section of Scripture, it emphasizes submission in the life of a Christ follower. We get down to the nitty-gritty of everyday life in this section tonight. And this is certainly not a popular topic in our society today with all the lawlessness and this personal fulfillment that we have, right? This power, the possessions, the passions that we all chase after. We call those the three Ps because people are chasing after that instead of chasing after Christ. But this is a very important topic for us. The very first thing that Paul, that Peter, excuse me, warns his readers about is the dangers of living in a foreign land. And we know there are dangers in living in foreign lands, right? We can see that on the news every day. There are dangers there. And the circumstances that plague the Christian church as well. Peter speaks out now on Christian behavior and how Christians are to live with each other in this culture that we have. And this is something that's not external. It's something that's internal. It's an internal thing that we go through. It's about our heart condition. It's about our heart. And so as we look at that tonight, if you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And it says this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Now, Peter opens with this identifying role that believers have in society. As believers, we need to understand what our identity is as foreigners and exiles in this world. Why? Because we're called to be different. We march to the beat of a different drummer than what the world does. And why do we do that? Because our identity is in Christ. That's who we are. It's not what the world says, but it's what God says who we are in Him. And this is why we're to abstain from these sinful desires which wage war against our soul. Living in a foreign land brings about more temptations, especially temptations of the flesh. Because when we're away from home, that's when our character really shows who we are. When we're 100 miles away from home and nobody knows who we are, how do we live our lives? The temptations that come up while we're there. But if we're in Christ, 
we won't, we won't give in to those. But these temptations war against our soul, each and every one of them. And Peter insists that our privilege and our performance are linked together. Our faith and our works are inseparable. Our faith, who we are in Christ, and how we live our lives are inseparable. Our behavior is not determined by what the world says or the cultures, but by God's standards, his word, and our Christian fellowship with other believers. And why is that? Because our real home is heaven. And heaven is where God lives. Life in heaven operates according to God's principles and his values. The first thing I want you to know tonight is this. Heaven is eternal and it's unshakable. It's a real place for all of us. And heaven came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And the Holy Spirit lives in each one of the believers, us believers, each and every day. And for us to recognize that God has authority in our lives. He has the ultimate authority in our lives. And God has established our homes, our governments, and the church. And this is an important picture for each and every one of us to consider because God has the right to tell us how these institutions should run and how they should operate. But God wants us to exercise authority. But before we can exercise authority, we must be under authority. We must be under authority, and that authority is Jesus Christ, each and every one of us. But the enemy... He has a strategy that wars against authority and our souls each and every day. His strategy is to offer freedom without authority. And he did that with Adam and Eve. And how'd that work for them, right? How did that work for them? They lost both freedom and authority. And the enemy's strategy is very simple. His strategy is this. He wants us to think to abstain. And what abstain actually means is to quit, refrain from doing, withhold from doing these things. That's what we're called to do. But the enemy says, no, there's no holding back. You don't have to hold back. That's too legalistic to do. And it's too unrealistic and too harsh for us to follow. Just do things in moderation and know when to say when. Sounds simple, doesn't it? You see, church, the enemy is very subtle about what he's doing. He just wants us to start compromising a little here and a little there each and every day until there's nothing left of our purity and our character and nothing is out of bounds for us. The problem with sin is that it hurts God. Our sin is God's pain. But also our sin hurts others. There's collateral damage and there are consequences with our sins. And sometimes our families and our friends are part of that collateral damage when we sin. And this issue is, is this war is raging against us and it wears us down as it tears us down 
each and every day. As the body of Christ, we're called to do things differently in the light of unity and eternity. And we're called to live in purity in a way that glorifies God in everything that we do. And since we're not from here, we can't act like we're from here. We have to act differently. And Peter is having us look within our own hearts. He's addressing this danger from within each one of us. He says, I urge you and I plead with you or I beg you from my heart to withhold, to cease from these sinful desires in your life. And even when things get tough, because they do get tough for us, don't they? Things get tough. Don't give in to those sinful desires. Be careful because we're all vulnerable to temptation and the enemy's attack each and every day. And we may not even realize that he's there. In Matthew 26, 41, it says this, Watch and pray so that you will not fall in temptation, that the spirit, spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our spirit is willing to do what is right and honorable, but our flesh, these desires, these appetites that we have in our lives, we're weak. We're weak in that. And Peter knew this best about giving in to these sinful fleshly desires when things got tough. But he's saying, stay alert, be in prayer. Don't wander into temptation without even knowing that you're in danger because the enemy is always lurking around for us. There's a part of each and every one of us that is ready and eager for anything that God has for us. But there's another part of us that's as lazy as an old dog sleeping by a fire. And later, Peter would listen to his flesh saying, this has been a pretty intense week with everything that's going on right here. And I just need to have a break and kick back and relax by the fire. So he did. And what happened next? In Luke twenty-two sixty-one, 61, it says this, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words the Lord spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Church, the enemy is Satan and he is real. He's real in each and every one of our lives. And a few hours after this or before this, Peter was standing by that fire like a lazy dog. And it wasn't out of persecution because persecution was looming but it was out of temptation. Peter ended up denying Jesus three times. And Peter knows what he's talking about when he told the early believers and us as well, as strangers withhold from these sinful desires in this life. Not just for a period of time or a season in your life, but abstain and withhold completely, always. Now, Peter's going to share with us three excellent motives for submitting to God's authority and living an obedient Christian life. In verse 12, it says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The phrase glorify God on the day that he visits us in the Old Testament, this was talking about this blessings or the day of judgment. But in the New Testament, it talks about our redemption, our salvation, the favor of God when he visits us and we receive salvation. As Christ followers, we must constantly remind ourselves who we are and who we are in Christ as we are redeemed and we are saved. And that we are God's dearly loved children and ourselves There's nothing that God can love about each and every one of us. But God loves us because of Jesus. He loves us because of Jesus, because of our faith in Jesus. We are accepted and loved by God. Our relationship to Jesus should be a motivation enough for each one of us to live a godly life in a godless world. In John 14, 15, it says this. If you love me, keep my commands. If we love God, we'll keep his commands. And there's something deeper than obedience out of duty, and that's obedience out of devotion. It's our devotion to the Lord because he loves us so much, we love him as well because he loved us first. Seeing your good deeds, this sounds a lot like Matthew 5.16 that says this. I have it on the screen. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If we live such good lives, even unbelievers will be praising God. When they see our lives, they will be praising God and it will bring glory to him. And Peter was among a lot of unbelievers who liked to spread vicious lies and rumors about the Christians back then. And he says, live such a good life. This attractive, upright, and gracious behavior of a Christ follower. And Peter is saying here that Christians are to live so honorably and openly before non-Christians that even though they may falsely accuse us of doing wrong, but in the long run, Their witness and their actions will refute the lies and the misrepresentations that they have and could show that all these rumors are false and could even win some of the unsaved to believe in Jesus Christ because of who we are. That God will be praised. Don't write off people because they misunderstand what Christianity is because people do misunderstand it. Instead, show them Christ in your life. We talk about spreading the gospel, and we spread the gospel, but the key to spreading the gospel is if you have to, use words. Let them see the gospel in your life. Let them see Jesus Christ, that they would recognize the way that you live, that you are a Christ follower. And as our behavior as Christians is the one true witness to the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. And this brings us to our first motive. The first motive for submitting to God's authority and living an obedient Christian life is for the sake of the unbelievers. 
It's for the sake of the unbelievers. The day may come that those who criticize and persecute you will believe and praise God with you because of the way you lived your life around them. And then verse 13 says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now Peter is going to get more specific about what he's saying. He says it's important for us to understand that there's going to be times, there's going to be difference things that are happening in our lives. And it's important for us to know that there's a difference between submission and obedience. The idea of being submissive to anyone is not very attractive to people these days at all. Not in a time when the best-selling books are called Look Out for Number One and Win by Intimidation. And in the corporate world, it's okay to climb over someone's back to get to the top. I want to be first. But Scripture tells us if we want to be first, we have to be last in the kingdom of God. And it's a little bit difficult for us to even imagine Peter being like that, Peter being submissive on what we remember about him, right? Think about the garden. Was Peter submissive there? It's kind of hard that we're thinking Peter's telling us, but he is. And this is our second motive here for submitting to authority. We do it for the Lord's sake. We do it for the Lord's sake. It's an expression of God's will for our lives. This is what God wants for us in our lives. And when we do something in the will of God and as servants of God, then we're doing it for the Lord's sake. It is God's will that will silence the critics as we do good in our lives. It's not about opposing authorities. The word silence literally means muzzle, right? And what I'm thinking about when I see this is I'm thinking that he's saying we need to muzzle because they're like these little yapping dogs that are always yapping. And I know what yapping dogs are like. If you've ever been to my house, we have this little dog called Abby. And she is a yapper, I'm telling you. She yaps all the time. But I think that's what he's saying here. He's saying we need to silence these yapping dogs that are out there constantly saying these things. Doing good should silence this, this ignorant and foolish talk that people have. And Peter says here that we're here, we're here to do this, to submit for the Lord's sake. In Ephesians 5.21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's for his sake. This is a pattern that Jesus gave us during his years here on earth, this reverence that he had for his father. And he made it clear that the way that we gain life, a life that matters, is to lose our life for others. There's nothing weak about a submissive lifestyle. Authentic submission, which is simply caring 
for more for others than we care for ourselves. This demands bold living on our parts, to care for other people more than we care for ourselves. And this demands an intense strength, and it calls for a quiet power that's far greater than the noisy sputterings from the backfires of someone who is always trying to get his or her way or trying to attract attention to themselves. The attention that we attract should be always towards God. Everything we do should be pointing towards Jesus Christ and not us. And then in verse 16, it says this. Peter says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Now, Peter was trying to get across the difference between this unbelieving lifestyle and the Christian life. In the first century, people were bound by certain statuses and class. Remember, there were slaves. Women didn't have real any kind of class in, in that time in the first century. And the Greeks justified this idea because they believed that the gods had created things that people didn't have a choice to the status or the position that they had in their life. These people who were completely without power to choose their own status, like the women and the slaves. But Peter's telling them that you are free. And this is an amazing thing, because when this happened, he's saying you're a servant of God. In other words, they weren't slaves to anyone but God. And that's who we're slaves to. We're slaves to Christ. And that their freedom was not to be used to mask or cover up the wrongdoings that they were doing. The good news of Jesus Christ is that our freedom is in him and him alone. And we should never use our freedom for ourselves. We must always use our freedom for others. As Christians, we submit to authority because we are submitted to Christ first. This is a freedom that puts People first that creates an atmosphere of mutual submission and wanting to give others mutual respect and affirmation at all times. The next point is this. Our freedom is not a weapon to fight with, but it's a tool to build the kingdom of God with. That's what our freedom is. It's a tool to build the kingdom as an example, you remember Nehemiah who was willing to give up his own rights that he might help his people restore the walls of Jerusalem. It wasn't about him. It's about putting other people in Christ first. And now verse 17 tells us about respecting people. It says this, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God honor the emperor. When Peter told his readers to submit to these authorities and honor the emperor, he was speaking of the Roman Empire under Nero. And Nero was a very cruel tyrant. And if you remember, he kind of accused the Christians for burning down the, uh, the, in uh, 64 AD. And then all, what did he start doing? He started using them for lampposts. And he was very cruel and very mean. But Peter's saying here, love your brothers and sisters. Fear God and honor the emperor. 
And this is good advice for us as well, that we should be respectful and honor everyone. We're to love and care for our Christian brothers and sisters, and we're to love and trust God. And that we're to honor and be respectful to all those that are in civil authority over us. And Peter was telling them, the believers, not to compromise their conscience. He wasn't saying that at all because he told the high priest this in Acts 5.29. Peter said, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. We do it for the Lord's sake. Remember, the Lord established these governments. And of course, everything that we do should be for the glory of God and the advancement and the good of his kingdom. And Peter is careful to point out as Christ's followers in our society that we are representatives of Jesus Christ. When they see us, they should see Jesus Christ in us. In 1 Peter 2.9 in the King James Version, it says this, I love this verse but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called out of the darkness into his marvelous light. It's our responsibility to advertise God's virtues in our life. Because we are peculiar people, right? We're different. We don't live as the world lives. And people will see that and say, that is peculiar. And that's okay because that's what God says we are. We're his chosen representatives in this world to shine a bright, shining light. And this is especially true when it comes to our relationships to the government and people in authority. But what we do there is we put God first. God comes first. In most aspects of our daily lives, it's possible and desirable for Christians to live according to the laws of their land. And today in the United States, we have the freedom, while there are others around the world who live under repressive governments and don't have that freedom we are all commanded to cooperate with the rules as far as our conscience will allow us because we do it for the Lord's sake. We do it for the good news and we will, we respect people. As Christ followers, we submit to the authorities vested in human governments. And if we submit to all authority for the Lord's sake, then we will show honor to all who deserve it each and every person. Remember when Daniel and his three buddies were with him, his three friends, and they refused the king's dietary regulations? Remember that? They disobeyed the law, but they did it in a way that proved that they honored the king and it respected the authorities that were in charge. They were not rebels. They were careful not to embarrass the officials in charge or get them into trouble. But what they did is they stood their ground. They did it for the Lord's sake. They put God first. And we must remind ourselves to respect the office even if we do not respect the person in the office because God has committed that. And God is in charge and control of that. 
As Christians, we should glorify God at the same time, honor the authorities and government. If we're persecuted, if we're, if we're to be persecuted, it should be being persecuted for obeying God and not for breaking moral or civil laws. In this last section, Peter will address our third motive for submitting to God's authority, and it's for our own sake. That last motive is for our own sake that we do it. He stresses the importance of submission in our lives. In verse 18, it says this, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Some of these newly converted slaves thought that this spiritual freedom that they had guaranteed them a political freedom as well. And they were creating problems for themselves and the church. Have you ever seen that? They were creating issues. Paul also addressed this in 1 Corinthians, and he says this, each person, in 1 Corinthians 7.20, it says this, each person should remain in the situation that they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when he was called in faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person, similar to the one who was free when he was called as Christ's slave. We're all slaves to Christ. And eventually the Roman Empire was overthrown and this terrible institution of slavery was gone. But today, there are no Christian slaves, at least in the New Testament sense. But this does address the application between employer and employees when it comes down to it. And Peter's urging us to have this submission and obedience to the will and wishes of the master or our employees or our employers. They were to be respected, good workers, not resentful or bitter with hatred, even though at times they might have endured unjust punishment. Furthermore, their submission was to be voluntary not because they were slaves, but because of their reverence in Jesus Christ. And I just want to make a note, a little disclaimer there. If you're in a, a job or something that's abusive verbally or physically, this is not saying stay there and submit to it. Please make note of that, that if there's anything that's causing physical danger or verbal like that, please get yourself out of that, okay? But as Christian employees, we must never take advantage of our employers as well. We should always do a good day's work for a good day's pay, always. In verse 19, it says this, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Sometimes we may be wronged by an unbelieving coworker or supervisor. Anybody ever had that happen to them? It happens, doesn't it? But being aware of God's presence for our own sake, we must take it. We take it even if we're not in the wrong. We're to be submissive to those who are over us, whether they're kind or not. 
In Matthew 5.10, it says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our relationship with God is far more important than any relationship with man. Our relationship with God is always first. And when our relationship with God is right and we are with him, our other relationships all will fall into order. In verse 20, it says this, But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But what if you suffer for doing good and you endure it? This is commendable before God. We do this for our own sake. You know, the human tendency is always to fight back, isn't it? We demand our rights. We want what we deserve, what's coming to us. When you think about that statement, think about where you were before Jesus died on that cross. Do you want what you deserve? Do you want that? Do you want to demand what was coming your way, the wrath of God before Jesus Christ died on the cross for each and every one of our sins? I don't think so. And we must do more than that because the natural response of unsaved people is to do that. In Luke 6, 32, it says this, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Sometimes suffering is a part of our life and suffering is good. You know, 1 Peter 4.19 says this, Let the, also those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to the faithful creator in doing what is right. It takes a spirit-filled Christian to submit and let God fight his battles while we're doing good. It takes the Holy Spirit in us not to retaliate and do that. In Romans 12, 19, it says this, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Amen? We leave it to God. Peter clarifies that as slaves or otherwise that we receive no credit or accommodation for that pain that comes our way in the result of doing something wrong. We did it. We deserve it. We own up to it. But if a Christian is beaten, a slave is beaten for doing something good in rebellion to God's will, that is not commendable. But if we endure hardships and we're punished and we endure it patiently for doing good because of our Christian standards and who we are in Christ, that's commendable before God. In verse 21, it says, To you, 
were called because of Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. And Peter now makes this bold statement. All Christians are called to endure suffering for doing what is good. We as Christ's followers, we follow Christ as what he did. And Peter learned about suffering from Jesus. He knew that suffering was part of God's plan to save each and every one of us. But Peter also knew that following Jesus, we should all be prepared to suffer. Peter learned through his experiences that God's people through suffering, through serving, would suffer. Remember, Peter rebuke, tried to rebuke Jesus for when he said he was going to suffer. In Matthew 16, 21, Jesus told him that he was going to the cross. And what did Peter say? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. Peter learned an important lesson that, would lead, that we would lead by serving and to serve by suffering. He also learned that this kind of suffering always brings glory to God. Always. And Peter encouraged these suffering slaves by presenting three pictures of Christ to them. And that Jesus is our example in our lives. In Mark 8.34 it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus faithfully. Taking up our cross is very simply what I look at was when Jesus was in the garden, he didn't want to go. He said, Father, if there's another way, please, let's do it. No, there's no other way. Take up your cross. Taking up your cross is doing God's will in our lives. Following God faithfully and obediently. And Jesus was the perfect example for each and every one of us to follow. He was an example of faithfulness and suffering. In spite of the fact that Jesus never sinned in word or deed at all, he suffered at the hands of the authorities. And we might wonder how we would respond to that in these same circumstances, and I hope we never have to find that out. But we know that Peter responded how he responded when he used his sword in the garden, didn't we? He wasn't submitting at all. He was going to fight. And this suggests that he would rather fight than submit to God's will. In our lives, we submit to the will of God. It's his life in us. His life is our life. And we have died to ourselves. We've taken up our cross, doing God's will in our lives, the way of the cross. And Peter learned these truths from Jesus, and he passed them along to us. Our Lord's humility and submission were not a sign of weakness, but a sign of power. They were a sign of power. And in verse 22, it says this, He committed no sin and deceit. No deceit was found in his mouth. You know, he committed no sin. And as sinners, we need a Savior. But after we're saved, we have to be, want to willingly follow Jesus Christ, his example to become more like him. And at times we may suffer, 
And some of that suffering may be a result of direct result of our sins. And sometimes it's because of our foolishness as well. And it may just be because this is a fallen world. But Peter is writing about the suffering that comes because of doing good, for doing good for the gospel. And Christ never sinned, yet he suffered so that each and every one of us could be free. And when we follow Jesus' example in our lives that we would suffer, our goal should be to face this suffering as he did, with patience, with calmness, and confidence in God that he is in control of our lives and our future. And then verse 23 says this, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is our example in his life and how he lived. That he endured this unjust punishment. When he was insulted, he didn't insult him back. He didn't repay evil for evil. He suffered on the account of each and every one of us. And what did he do? Through his suffering, he committed himself into his Father's hands. And we need to do that as well when we suffer. We're in your hands, Father. In verse 24, it says this, He himself bore our sins in the body of the cross so that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus died for our sins in our place. And Peter talks about this. He talks about Jesus submitting and his suffering. And the prophet Isaiah's description of him as a suffering servant. There was no deceit, no malice words in his mouth, but he died on the cross for our sins so that we would not have to suffer the punishment that we deserve because Jesus is our perfect substitute in his death. The suffering of Jesus clearly is an example for each and every one of us that he bore our sins and that he was our substitute and he provided the healing that we needed spiritually so that we could have a relationship with God. By his stripes, we are healed spiritually. And then verse 25, it says this, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus is our watchful shepherd in heaven. Every lost sinner is a sheep gone astray, lost, wandering, in danger, away from a place of safety. And we're all unable to save ourselves or to help ourselves. In Luke 15, it talks about the parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus left the 99 to go after that one. And when he found that one, he called his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Isn't that amazing? The Lord rejoices in each and every one of us when we come to him. And the shepherd that went out to search for the lost sheep, Jesus is our great shepherd that died for each and every one of us. And now that we have been returned safely to his fold and his care, 
He watches over each and every one of us every day. In Hebrews 13, 20, it says this, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Christ Jesus, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, in his glory, watches over his sheep. He protects us and he perfects us each and every day. The wonderful truths are in these passages are that we are to live a godly life and to submit to suffering at times. We're to follow Christ's example and to become more like him each and every day. We submit and we obey not only for the sake of the lost who are out there watching us, but for the Lord's sake as well, but also for our own sake, that we might grow spiritually and become more like Christ. The unsaved world is watching each and every one of us, but our great shepherd in heaven is watching over us from heaven. So we have nothing to fear from this world. We can submit to him and know that he will work everything together for our good and his glory in our lives. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. And Father, even though we may suffer, we know that Jesus is our perfect example. And may we follow him faithfully and obediently as your disciples. May we take up our cross to do your will faithfully and obediently each and every day so that the unbelieving world may see through our testimony of our lives who you really are and that they would come to know and receive your saving grace and the knowledge of who you are. So, Father, tonight we do this for the Lord's sake. We give our lives to you. We praise you for who you are, and we thank you for your word. Father, use us for your glory each and every day. And if we have to, let us use words to spread the gospel. But may our lives show who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.